Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Marketing Coordinator at Buckland, and today I'm speaking with our guest, John Weingarten. John Weingarten is the Business Development Manager for Freight at Buckland and has 17 years of industry experience in freight forwarding and has been with Buckland for just over a year. Thank you for coming today, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, John. Thank you, Jenny. Today we are going to be discussing freight. We're going to call it a Freight 101, giving an overview of the topic of freight. When we say freight, we are referring to the transportation of goods by ship, air, rail, or truck. Everything we use on a daily basis relies on the intricate network of freight that moves our daily use items to us. About 90% of all international freight is transported by ship. Think about the items that you use every day, from the shirt that you're wearing, to the coffee mug that you're drinking from, to the device that you're using to listen to this podcast. Take a look at those origin markers on these items, you know, where it says made in. For example, your shirt that was perhaps made in Vietnam or Bangladesh, it would have traveled to you via several different modes of transportation to make it to you. Here at Buckland, we assist our customers with arranging for transportation of their freight across any of these methods. So John, let's have a chat about freight. You know a lot more about this than I do, so I appreciate you chatting with me about this. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what freight is in the different modes? Sure. I mean, when we talk about freight, we talk about the end-to-end supply chain and how the uh, goods move. Uh, Generally speaking, I'll keep it to the basic forms of movement, uh, but generally we're speaking if it's an ocean move, uh, we are then talking about it could be a less than container move or it could be a full container move. So those are the acronyms I've heard of, right? Yes. So LCL and FCL? It's LCL and uh, FCL. Yes, that is correct. And to think about what a container is, Uh, Most people say, well, what's a shipping container? Well, when you see the train drive by and you see the containers on the uh, back of the, on top of the train, sometimes you'll see them singly stacked, sometimes doubly stacked, but those are containers. And those containers come in a few various sizes. The most common being a 20 foot container or a 40 foot container. Some of them are regular size, some of them are high cubed. And there are other sizes, but those are your main containers that you will see. Great. And I know I've seen that when I've, you know, I was recently in Vancouver and I saw the ships coming in and they were stacked high with all of the different containers and I saw them, you know, taking them off of the ships. So those would be the same. Those would, that's exactly what that would be. And that's down at the uh, port where they take the containers off. They use very large, heavy cranes to lift the containers off or put them on if they're loading a ship. Great. The next mode of transportation is air, of 
course. Air is your uh, pretty much your most expensive mode of transportation. Uh, over the years, ocean has obviously become more and more popular, and air has become less and less popular. Uh, your air movements, again, same idea. Uh, there's a few, there's three basic what I would call modes of transportation within air. You could have anything from a consul small consolidated shipment that will move with other people's freight or you could have your own palletized freight. Uh, when I talk about palletized freight within an airplane, the best way to think about it is if you look outside of the airplane and you see those steel containers, those are considered, that's considered palletized freight. Oh, okay. Going on to the airplane. And then of course the other is charter service. If your load is large enough and needs to move quickly, you might charter your entire own aircraft uh, in order to move your load of freight uh, from one space to another space. I can see how that would be the more expensive way to go. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and just to give you a price range of what that kind of looks like, if you had to uh, charter a 747, you could certainly be upwards, depending on where it's going from and to, uh, in between the six and 700,000 US dollar range wow. to charter that aircraft. Wow. The next mode of transportation is ground. Again, there's two types of ground trans basic types of uh, ground transportation. Uh, we are looking at less than truckload, and that's where you might have your own piece of freight or you might have your own skid of freight, uh, and you are sharing that truck with many other people. Uh, or you might have FTL, which is full truckload, and your product is moving from point A to point B alone on that truck. Um, there's also uh, intermodal. When you hear intermodal, that's the rail service, uh, which is an extremely common way of moving your freight. It's a cheaper alternative most of the time compared to ground freight. So just as uh, ocean is to air, intermodal is to ground. Okay. Again, your own consol there could be a small consolidated shipment or you could take up that whole container on the rail. When you think about a container on the rail in this case, there's two ways that the freight can move. It could be within a shipping container as we talked earlier for the ocean uh, and or there are trucks, 53 foot trucks that lift up, they lift them right onto the back of a uh, rail uh, car and that truck moves without the front of the truck obviously which is the um, the cab of the truck, it moves without the cab. So they might load that in Toronto for example. So when that truck arrives in Vancouver, they may offload that truck or they will offload that truck and then the uh, trucker or the cab of the truck will pick that up and deliver it to final origin. Do you mean like the actual trailer, like with tires and everything would go on or is it another one of those containers, like a shipping container? No, so that's what I was saying. It could be both. Oh, wow. So okay. yeah, it could that. be both. It could be sometimes what happens is Think about this, sometimes the containers, and I'm going to use a shipment that comes into Vancouver port, for example, okay. and moves to Toronto. Okay. So that container has come in, it's come to Toronto, it's been delivered somewhere. That ocean container needs to get back to wherever it's going to uh, because the supply chain is oh. always back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes there's enough product in the Toronto market to load that container 
and send it all the way back to original origin. So if it came from Vietnam originally, mm -hmm. you may have product within Toronto, which is the ideal, that will load that container and move that container all the way back to Vietnam. Yeah. And that's considered a round trip uh, for the goods. Sometimes, though, there's not enough. So the supply chain kind of gets split. So what people will sometimes do is there's a cost-saving advantage. If somebody wants to move freight from Toronto to Vancouver, they could load that container in Toronto, and then it could then be offloaded in Vancouver, put onto a truck, and then delivered within Vancouver. The other option is that you have a 53-foot truck with the wheels on it filled in Toronto. It's then taken to the rail yard, it's lifted onto a rail container. It then goes via rail to Vancouver, comes off the rail, and then gets delivered to wow. a customer within Vancouver. Interesting. So if we're those different forms that we're talking about, um, I think we alluded to this a little bit, but I'm wondering if we can kind of explore um, what are the advantages of one over the other. So, you know, for example, I think when we were talking about the difference between ocean and air I think you know cost was obviously a big difference there yeah so there, there there's generally two main differences that people look at there's obviously cost is extremely important mm -hmm. we are in a market now um, where every penny counts yep. um, and the other thing though that is also very important is time sure so if you're moving via air obviously there is a time advantage yeah. Um, but generally your cost uh, can be higher or will be higher. Uh, with ocean, your uh, cost is lower, but it takes longer to move your product. Sure. Uh, there are times and instances, if you have a small ocean freight, that it may be just as cheap to put it in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally speaking, when we are talking um, heavy loads of merchandise moving, um, it comes down to getting the lowest possible price, moving it at the lowest possible time, um, but it has to fit within the cost model of the product. So my example to that would be there is different ocean lines that move product from Japan to Canada, for okay. argument's sake. And one of the ocean lines might have a sailing time of 19 days. One of the ocean lines may have a sailing time of 25 days. Some of the ocean lines may have a sailing time of 30 days. So what becomes important there is, again, they're gonna look at the cost and the time. They are pro most companies are not gonna to wanna to go for those longer sailing times, but there are companies, in order to get the absolute lowest cost, will take that much longer sailing time. Uh, it does affect people's supply chains and depending on how their inventory and what their inventory requirements are, a company will make their decisions based on time and money. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So, and I would imagine it's the same when we were talking about intermodal and ground, that it's the same sort of situation? Yes, it is. It's the, it is the exact same situation. Um, interestingly, uh, the inter on the intermodal side, the intermodal side has gotten much quicker than it has in the past. Um, railways have found efficiencies to lower their times 
uh, to deliver product. Uh, an example would be if you go back no more than 10 years ago, a uh, rail from Toronto to Vancouver, for example, was taking seven to eight days. Today, you can move that rail product in four to five days. Oh, wow. Trains have gotten longer, uh, which has allowed product to move. There's, there's only X amount of trains that move on a daily basis because we have single line service for the most part across uh, the country, uh, but trains have gotten longer which has allowed more containers to get on those trains, which has increased the time. Great. Because it does seem like a, a great solution, especially for moving a far distance as opposed to by a truck. It is. So it, it definitely is an advantage uh, to move it that way. Um, the other thing is when you're moving by a truck, there are new laws in place that affect how many hours a driver can be on the road. Sure. And when we talked about just something to add to the trucking side, generally trucks move with either one driver, which is called a single driver, or two drivers, which are team drivers. Team driver is a faster service, but a more expensive service on the road. And single driver is one driver. Um, but you are, again, when you're talking single driver, it takes that much longer to get your product from point A to point B than it does with team drivers. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a single driver, quite often that rail can be almost uh, delivered, uh, not quite as fast, but very close to the same timeline as a single driver could do it on a long distance. Okay, great. Um, so that, I think, gives us a good idea. And now what I'm wondering if we might be able to do is if you could maybe walk me through to give a real-life example of how goods make it from, you know, their start to their end consumer. Um, because I think for a lot of us, I know, like, we all know that our things are coming from different places, but a lot of us don't really stop to think about exactly how they're making their way there and just everything that is involved with those moves. So let's take an example. We mentioned earlier about um, clothing. So we could say a shirt, you know, you look in the tag of your shirt and it can say Bangladesh, Vietnam, any of these places. So if you could walk me through how it gets from that country of origin to me, here I am in Canada, uh, and, and what would be involved with that. I think a real life example would help us to really put some context on this. Sure. Uh, most people think that product moves from point A to B, and it's one simple move, and why is it taking so long, or how did it get lost? Mm -hmm. um, so let's use the example of a shirt, okay, and a white t-shirt. And if you go into any department store, uh, let's just say Hanes, for example, you will see, you know, hundreds of packages of white T-shirts. Mm -hmm. Then think about that multiplied throughout the world and how many shirts are actually made. Those shirts are not made in just one factory. Those shirts could be made in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 factories. So if we use the example of that they are made in Vietnam, there could be, let's say that there's 30 factories where that exact same shirt is made from. What would happen in that case is purchase orders would go from the suppliers into those factories. Those factories would then put all of the orders together. 
one factory may in fact only make smalls, one may make mediums, one may make larges, oh, wow. uh, and there could be several factories that are making smalls, several factories making mediums, and several making larges. Those purchase orders would then go in, and if we took just on a single order, and Walmart orders um, 50,000 of those t-shirts, those t-shirts would then be manufactured, packaged, boxed up, and they would come from various different factories to a consolidation point within uh, Vietnam. Uh, that consolidation point within Vietnam would then take all of those packages that they've picked up from all the various manufacturers. Which probably came by truck, I'm guessing, into that distribution. Correct. Okay. Yeah, they would have come by truck into that uh, consolidation center. They would then package them up. They would then take them again. Uh, they would make it into a single order. That single order, let's say for argument's sake, is going to move via ocean. They would then take all of those skids of product, and when I say a skid, those are the wooden pallets that you see. Yeah. Uh, they would take all of those skids of product, and that product, by the way, may be skidded at this point, or it could be loose. And when I say it's loose, uh, with an ocean container, you want to use every inch of space. So sometimes you do what's called floor-loaded, so that you don't waste uh, oh. any space with skids. But let's just say they're on skids, for argument's sake, for this sure. conversation. And uh, we would then load 10, 15, 20 ocean containers. Those ocean containers then need to be taken down to port. They need to arrive at the port generally two to three days before that uh, ship sails. Uh, once they get down to the port, uh, the ocean lines will put them on the ship in a certain order and they will load the ship. That ship then takes another 20, 25 days in order to sail to Vancouver port. In Vancouver port, those ocean containers that would come off the ship, there would be what's called drayage companies, which are trucks with chassis, and they would put those ocean containers on those chassis. Oh, okay. Those would then be taken to the rail yard in Vancouver, and we are going to say that uh, their final distribution is going to be across Canada. Okay. And Walmart, uh, let's pretend that they have distribution centers in Calgary, um, Manitoba, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Toronto, and Montreal. Those various containers would then be shipped to their distribution centers in uh, those various cities. So some would take a day, two days to get to, some would take three days, some four days, some five days. Once they arrive at those distribution centers, those ocean containers then need to be unpacked. When they are unpacked in the distribution centers, that product would then be taken and put away within the distribution center. Then what happens from there is the individual Walmart stores will have their orders. So from that standpoint, the distribution centers receive orders of product and they then go out and what's called pick the product. So again, the product then is sep separated again, put into orders for individual stores and will then be put on trucks and then sent out to their, all their stores across Canada. 
So wow. that's a bird's eye view, um, but that is a that's a simpler um, way of moving freight than some of the other much more complex ways. But I think that gives such an interesting insight to how long things can take. You know, because in your mind, when you order something, you're thinking of it just going from point A to point B. But when you really stop and think about how long that ship takes to cross the ocean, and then if it's traveling by rail, you know, like you say, for example, if it was going from um, Vancouver to Montreal, perhaps, you know, when you really add that time up of how long that takes and how long people, you know, when they're thinking about their supply chain, how much planning in advance would have to go to ensure that things are on the shelf. And, you know, when I think about it and you walk into a store and those shelves are full of product, everything that has to go into making sure that that supply chain is is met and stocked, it's, it's pretty incredible, really. Yeah, when you think about the retail world, they are generally planning a year in advance uh, for what has to be on the shelves for next year. And the other thing that when you think about the end-to-end supply chain is when I give that example, it tells you how many different people are touching that product yes. before, like between the time it's manufactured to the time it gets on the shelf. And you then realize how many things can actually go wrong. <laughs> That's exactly what and I was just because thinking. Because <laughs> you have anywhere, every time somebody damages, every time somebody touches it, you could certainly have a damage. Yes. Or you could have theft along the way. Yeah. Or think about how big that supply chain is. Mm-hmm. Freight can get lost. Yeah. And so when you really think about it, companies are doing amazing jobs getting the product from point A to point B Mm -hmm. in a timely manner in order to get them on the shelves, in order to sell it in the appropriate season or the appropriate time, because if they don't sell it, there's more orders coming in behind it. And it could definitely affect their stock counts. And then they have to deep discount the product. So everybody has to do their job properly and in a timely manner. No kidding. Uh, and buyers have to be sharp, sharp, sharp. I guess so. To ensure that they're ordering the right amounts of stock. And then the transportation people got to make sure that they are moving that stock in a timely manner and wow. efficient manner. Those examples and talking about this certainly gives me a great, you know, a better understanding of what goes into freight forwarding and how things make it from A to B. But it also gives me a new appreciation for what our freight team here at Buckland does, uh, you know, here at our office. Uh, I see our freight team working hard every day, but this really helps me understand what they do. Um, are you able to elaborate on what the freight services here are at Buckland and what we do for our customers? Yes, absolutely. So Buckland has a very experienced team. Uh, that experienced team is broken into smaller uh, teams and we are able to help the customer right from the end-to-end supply chain, meaning we can get it from the time it's ready to move to wherever it has to be delivered uh, in the end. Uh, Our various different groups are, we have an international team uh, that is very strong in the ocean and international air. Uh, Within that group, we then have a very strong uh, network 
uh, of other freight forwarders that we work with around the globe uh, that assist us uh, overseas, uh, and we work in conjunction with them on any international moves. I can see how those partnerships would be key to this. You know, when you were describing all of the different kind of moving parts, it would be very important to have someone who has those strong partnerships. It is very key. Uh, you are only as strong as your network partners. There are different um groups or agencies out there that offer these services and Buckland with all of our years of experience have teamed up with uh, some very strong partners uh, in order to ensure uh, reliability and financial stability. Mm -hmm. When I talk about financial stability, it's very important that the company that you have teamed up with is strong financially within their own country. Uh, because you don't want freight, uh, quite often freight is paid up front and you don't want to partner with a company that isn't strong financially uh, because that could affect your customer's freight being held up somewhere within the world. Um, And Buckland just has some amazing relationships throughout the world with very strong freight forwarders. Uh, Within North America, we have a North American team. That North American team is actually split into two groups. We have a MEX freight division that handles freight moving uh, between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. So anywhere Mexico is involved, that MEX freight team is involved. Then we have a team that just handles domestic Canada and transborder between Canada and the United States. Uh, We are then aligned with many partners within North America, uh, whether it be uh, air carriers, Uh, or trucking companies. Uh, We have about another 150 partners uh, that we have that ability to move uh, freight within their networks. Uh, And again, that comes down to strong procurement on Buckland's side so that we can offer our customers very aggressive rates within the market. Uh, And it also comes down to working with very reliable partners. Um, There are thousands and thousands of trucking companies, uh, but anybody that Buckland deals with goes through a rigorous background uh, check and uh, we want to know all about the company. Again, we want to understand their financials uh, so that we know that we've teamed up with strong financial uh, partners that we know uh, will be in business tomorrow, so to speak. And uh, then from an insurance standpoint, um, there are very small companies that uh, only insure their trucks for a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, up to companies that insure up to $2 million. Buckland's uh, rule of thumb is that uh, the truckers that we team up with must have minimum million dollars worth of liability uh, on their trucks in case of accidents uh, and claims. So we're very picky as to who we partner with out in the marketplace. Well, thank you so much. And if people are curious about getting in touch with our freight department, uh, one of the best ways to do that, or if you want to find out more, is to visit the Buckland website. And if you look at our services menu, you will see International Freight Forwarding and Logistics. 
you there you can read about all of the services that we have talked about today as well as some more information to give you an idea of what we can move uh, how we can move it and how we can be of assistance and uh, there is a spot there that you can reach out to us if you want to get a quote um, you can feel free to fill in that little section of the website and someone will be in touch with you um, thank you so much john for taking the time to chat with me about freight today i appreciate not only your time, but your expertise as well, uh, sharing that with me. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. That's the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to our guest, John Weingarten, for joining us and for sharing his wealth of expertise when it comes to freight. If you're looking for resources related to international trade, check out buckland.com and click the learning guide section for downloadable resources ranging from Incoterms reference charts, tips for avoiding border delays, things to keep in mind when choosing a broker, and so much more. Also, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter through our website to receive a roundup of the latest trade news delivered right to your inbox. Please feel free to reach out to us through our website's contact us page through Twitter, where our handle is at Buckland Tweets, or on our company page on LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast, and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.